Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. This week, we've got Derek Day, who I am really excited to have on. And so let's dive in and see what he has to say. Cool. Let's just dive in, man. So I had you, you were one of my first uh, on my, when I started doing my podcast, just interviews, yep. you were the first uh-huh. people I had on um, and loved it. Everyone loved it. But it was like, it was, I think it's still to this day, the shortest podcast I've had. It was like 30 minutes, like maybe 40 minutes. Oh, wow. It was like, boom, to the point. Um, and now yep. we've got like long form where the podcasts are like two, three hours. And I'm like, they did not get the Derek day they deserve. They need to, <laughs> they need to get, there's a lot more to Derek than that. You know um, what? I'm, so, I'm just not that interesting, man. <laughs> dude, that is not true. <laughs> or at least not to me. I, but I find yeah. a lot of things interesting maybe, but. I, I think uh, we, we've got a lot we could uh, jump into, but dude, why, why don't you introduce yourself to um, people that maybe don't know you, haven't heard that initial podcast, haven't heard your name. A lot of people in, in kind of my world have heard your name because I share your stuff every now and again and, yeah. and point people your way, but who are you? What are you about? Well, my name is Derek Day. I am a husband, a father, uh, a software engineer, an author, uh, a corporate executive, uh, a professional speaker, coach, teacher, former pastor, and former ecumenical leader. And what do you do with all the free time you have around that? <laughs> uh, wow. Well, you know, That's everything, yeah, everything just kind of flows together or is tied together. So, uh, so free time is work time is free time and so on and so forth. I love it. I love it. That's so cool. And you, I'm trying to think, when did we, so we hung out, you're, you're in Arizona, right? Yep. That's right. We hung out, must've been eight years ago, nine years ago, 10 years ago, a long time, right? It's been eight or nine years. Yeah. And both you and I have been on a little bit of a journey since then, like spiritually. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so why don't you uh, maybe give us like a, a rough overview? Because last time I hung out with you, you were a pastor in yep. a kind of um, very, uh, it, it was widely known as like kind of the grace message, kind of uh, yep. that overarching world, which means nothing to a lot of people and then means everything to certain people, right? Yeah. Uh, yep. But that was kind of where you were at. Are you, yep. still, are you still pastoring? Are you still nope, doing that? Nope. I am a, I am a happy former pastor. You're like a free um, agent now. Yeah, we uh, we we made the decision to fold the church in August of last year, and um, and I've just been uh, enjoying uh, Sundays since then. Not mm-hmm. really doing anything, um, you know, doing more more uh, videos. About to ramp up my own podcast again. Um, I'm writing for Pathios now. Um, nice. Thank you, Keith Giles. <laughs> and, you get yeah. And, um, but yeah, going back to when we first met, I, I know you were just coming out of Bethel. You were, yeah. you had been teaching there. And, uh, and, and I think it was at Dave and Connie's house over here in, in Phoenix that you, you spoke right. at a, at yeah. a house meeting. I mean, we had, we had, I think we had been connected for, for more than a year before that, but We'd that was Facebook our first time friends, meeting. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that was um, a wild trip. I remember doing, I think, there was like a whole bunch of school of ministries over there as well. And I think yep. I did like 13 like cities throughout or 13 meetings in about, I think it was like just under two weeks. It was an intense time. Yeah. Um, that was a wild trip. I enjoyed that a lot, but yeah, absolute highlight. I remember 
I, man, I, my memory is not good, but I remember going for a meal with you and your family and having a blast. Like, yes, that was the second time you were here. Was that the uh, second when you time? Actually, yeah, when you actually spoke at our church. That's right. And then I spoke at your church yeah. as well. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Man, that was, yeah. yeah. And that was probably just only a couple of years after that. Yeah. wasn't long, right? Yeah. Not long after that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Good times. Good times. So yeah. Yeah. how have you um, changed and, and grown since then? Like what, what, what's been going on in your life <laughs> the last kind of 10 years or so? Man, um, this was, this was a funny thing because not long after, after you spoke here, I began working on my book, Deconstructing Religion. Mm. And, and, and that was sort of my entry into the rabbit hole. I, that was the, the ledge, if you will. And I, I started going down like um, all of these different things that I've been taught. And, and I began to uh, reverse engineer them because I'm, I'm an engineer by training. Right. And, and so it's trying to figure things out how how mm -hmm. how do things work so you're always uh disassembling and reassembling things in different ways to kind of get a feel for how they work and so i started looking at um jesus the person of jesus mm -hmm. and and i began to reverse engineer him wow. because i wanted to understand how jesus worked and and what i found was a lot of the parts that i thought went into Jesus actually didn't go into him at all. Wow. And, and so what happened is I went from being a, uh, I was a, a Pentecostal slash word of faith preacher uh, to being a grace preacher uh, to being a hopeful inclusionist, to being a full inclusionist, to becoming a full universalist and preterist uh, to where I am now, which, um, I've dismissed the whole Jesus as savior narrative mm. because uh, there was nothing for us to be saved from. Mm. And so now I focus on telling people why Jesus came and what he came to show us. Yeah. And once, once I get that, it, it's like, okay, this is a message of pure love. This is, and love is, the thing yeah and because this will this will really bless you if you've never heard me say this if you never heard this before god in the beginning she stepped out of eternity into a void spoke something and created everything now when god did that what material did he have at his disposal Mm. the only thing that God had was himself, herself. That was it. So, so that means that everything that we understand in creation is an outgrowth, an outcropping, a manifestation of God. Now, mm. if we look at the, at, at the Bible and, and the only characteristic that's actually ascribed to God is God is something is God is love. Mm. So that means that love is the basically the base material or if you think about it in terms of like quantum field theory or uh, you know uh, quantum physics it's the quantum field. Mm. Love is the quantum field. It is the thing that everything appears into and disappears from. 
Love it. So when, when I started looking at this, I said, man, I said, everything that I've learned concerning matters of faith is complete and total bullshit. And, and it, it was, you know, mind blowing. I mean, yeah. I, and I'm like, wait a second. How could I have, I said, I'm a smart guy. How could I have been bamboozled <laughs> this, this long? Yeah. But, but here's the, the interesting thing about um, Christianity is that the way it's taught in a, in a seminarian sense it is basically you're, you're playing this really elaborate game of connect the dots. Yeah. So, so you, you have to do a lot of mental gymnastics, a lot of spiritual gymnastics, a lot of hermeneutic and exegetical gymnastics to try to make everything fit because everything has to fit. Because if you're, if you're, if you're starting from the premise that the Bible is inerrant, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you got to get all lined up. You got to get it all. And, 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 and man, That'll keep what you busy. I found, it does. <laughs> I found that that was just absolutely fucking exhausting. I hear and, you, and so I, I was, I was just happy when, when I found that, okay, I could just start with Jesus in with Jesus. And, and, and then, and then when I look at that, you know, because here's the thing I said this, that I dismissed the whole savior narrative. Mm. Jesus didn't come to save us from anything because it wasn't our perspective. It, it, it wasn't uh, God's perspective toward us that changed. It was our perspective toward him. Mm. So therefore we didn't need to, if, if God had changed his mind, then yes, you need a rescue because if God is pissed, well, you know, he can smite yeah, you. you sort know? of, can, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, it, it was like um, this whole narrative of having to be saved from anything. Um, it's just nonsense. Basically, mm. Here's, here's the mind blower is that Jesus came to show us what fully formed divine humanity looks like, Yeah. how, how it's manifest. And, and so when I began to see myself as Christ, see myself as Mm. God and see Phil Drysdale as Christ and as God, it changes everything because, you know, I, I know if, if God is who he says he is or who she says she is, um, it's all powerful. It's awesome. It's, it's just this, this, this uh, fountain, wellspring, um, unlimited source. Mm. Well, if, if I have respect and honor for that, but I treat it, but if I see you as an extension of that, I'm going to give you the same honor and respect that I give this ethereal thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it just changed everything, man. It's like, I, I have a, a peace, a joy that I've never had before. Dude, I hear you. I like the, the, the freedom that comes from finding the divine within all is just astonishing because suddenly there isn't this pressure to, hierarchy everything and and go oh well that's the good stuff i'm supposed to do or that's the i'm pleasing god by doing that or i'm focusing on god you can't not focus on god if you're just aware Uh, because i can be focusing on god in anything when walking through the park and just going oh wow that's a cool tree i'm focusing on the divine if i'm aware you know if i wake up to it if i'm chatting with my friend if i'm having an argument with someone like i can i can have an awareness to something i'm like ah do i really want to be arguing with 
Christ? Is that really right. how I, exactly. like, is that how I treat Christ? Is that what I would like, you know, um, it, it changes absolutely everything. It's, just, it's astonishing. And, and definitely you can look at how Christians have operated and I hold my hand up to that. And, and I'm yep. sure you would at times as well uh, in your past, uh, when we look at how we've treated other people, brothers and sisters in Christ, quote unquote, but also yeah. just the rest of the world is like even more so obvious how we treat people that, because we're not seeing them as divine. We very much no. see them as something else, something that is less than, or, and if you don't believe like me, Oh man, I, 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 I can, I can casually look down on you. If mm-hmm. you don't think like me, I can disregard you. And if you don't look like me, then I can really dismiss you. And, yeah. and all of that, that, you know, um, I had this experience and, and I've had so many experience. I, I mean, when, when I tell people I've had a really fantastic life and, and by that, I mean, you know, it hasn't been all good, but it's been, it's been a journey. But while I was in the Navy, um, I got into some trouble and I needed some money for legal help. So I went to my dad. Now, my dad and I had an interesting relationship. He wasn't with us when we, as I was growing up, my mom basically raised us and all of that. But I went to my dad and I said, dad, I've got this problem. And so here's what my dad did. He says, well, he says, I'm going to give you the money, but I want to tell you what a, you know, what a dumb thing this is you did. And, you know, and, and you're, I don't know what you were thinking, but you're just really, you know, he just gave me the third degree. I mean, he read me the riot act. And, um, and, and so, you know, I told him, I said, Hey dad, you know, screw you, man, keep your money. And, and uh, I I said, I don't, I don't need it that bad that I, that Mm. I have to take this from somebody. So my dad and I were estranged for five years, for five years, we didn't talk. And and what happened was uh, he got colon cancer. And, and so my sisters reached out to me and they say, hey, you know, um, dad's got cancer. We don't know how bad it is, but, you know, it would probably be a good thing if you guys, you know, buried the hatchet. And so when I when I talked to my dad and we, you know, we kissed and made up and, and we we have a really phenomenal relationship now. Mm. But we have, we have a lot of conversations. I mean, really deep conversations. And so, so my dad had told me, he said, you know, when, uh, when your mom and I were separated, uh, you know, um, I know that people were telling you that I was a deadbeat dad and, and this, that, and the other. And, and, um, and he said, no, he said, um, you know, I was trying to get custody of you guys the whole time, Wow. you know? And, and then, uh, and he said, when, and when we had this big dust up uh, over money, he said, uh, yeah, he said, I said some things that I regret. He said, but the whole time, I just wondered, how were you doing? I wondered, mm. how, were, how were you? And he said, and, and son, I never stopped loving you. And, and so when I think about this, I said, you know, okay, my dad, uh, my dad is no saint, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and, you know, but he understands some things. And I'm like, okay, if, if you know, if, if Dickie Day understands it like that, surely God understands it a little bit better. Right. Mm. So, so, so what, what I'm, what I'm getting at is, is that my dad wasn't judging me on, on my behavior. Now he was angry with me because I I made some bad choices and he said some things that he regretted and I get that. Um, But the whole time 
my dad never stopped loving me and never stopped, yeah. you know, looking out like the father of the prodigal at the gate. You know, this is the day that my baby's coming home. Mm-hmm. You know, he never stopped that. And, yeah. and so when, when I, when I think about that in the, in the and, and I, I juxtapose uh, him and God, I'm like, you know, what kind of love? I mean, if God is love, he just can't or she just can't stop fawning and swooning over you i mean it's like Mm. oh oh my god it's like when you when you're when you become a parent for the first time and you have a baby and and that baby can do no wrong i mean (laughs) that baby will the baby will shit on your sheets you know spit up everywhere toss food mess things up right on the walls break your television break your computer (laughs) all kinds of stuff and yet you think this baby is the most fascinating, <laughs> cutest, most awesome. And that's how God sees us. Yeah. It's amazing. It's yeah. really, really cool. I love it. I love it a lot. <laughs> so how, I feel like that's, that's a lot of journey. So, I mean, but it has been like a, a decade. So, you know, I'd have, I've yeah. expected nothing last decade. I'd be a bit disappointed if you hadn't changed you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, But that's a lot to be going through. Like how, how did the people around you cope with this process and this change? Like, you know, your family, your friends, you were a pastor, you know, like uh, presumably yeah. you had a lot of people around you that weren't on the same page at some of these points as you were, as you were going. You know what? Um, it, 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 I have so many different people in my life that are at so many different levels that, that basically I, I managed to piss off and disappoint <laughs> virtually everyone at, at any given point in time. You know, it, it's like, you know, my mom at one time, she was so blown away that uh, she had two sons that were in ministry and a daughter that was coming up in ministry. Mm. Um, and, and so that was just, you know, she was just really so proud of that. And now she, she, you know, she's like, okay, I, I get that you're, you're always evolving. You're always growing, but you know, she said, do you, do you ever wonder, you know, have you gone too far? You know, yeah. she, and, and, and so people ask me that, and, and it's funny, like, uh, my mother-in-law, uh, who I love, I love her dearly. She called my wife one day because she heard one of my, one of my, uh, videos, um, and you know, my, my everyday videos are basically very encouraging and I don't use profanity in those, um, because I, I, they, they, they're in a lot of different outlets like LinkedIn, for example. Right. Sure. Uh, so, so I try to stay very, uh, professional, but on, on Facebook, I, I don't really have to, I don't have to filter anything. So I can pretty much say it as I want. And so uh, one of my Friday night live videos that I call Freeology Friday, my mother-in-law, she's new on Facebook and she tuned in and she said, <laughs> and, and she's like, wait a minute, you know, this is my son-in-law, isn't he a pastor? He's a preacher, you know, um, and, and I, I, I preached in, in her church and, mm-hmm. and, and, and she's just like, you know, she calls my wife and she says, you know, what's, what's going on with Derek, you know? Mm. And, uh, and so my, my wife has to, you know, kind of, <laughs> explain it all away um but I, I i've said to people that like what here let me tell you this i i didn't i didn't cuss much between the time i got out of the navy and say like uh well no let me let me let me backtrack 
I've been in ministry for 21 years now. And, and when I, when I went into ministry, um, basically all of these things, I said, well, you know, God took the desire away to do these things, but basically I was kind of just going, jumping through the hoops, going through the motions because Mm. I wanted, I wanted to be the man to God. So I, 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 you know, you got to talk the right way and all of that. So here's what happened. I, I I had a, there was some, uh, someone in the grace camp that, um, you know, when these, one of these issues of police brutality came up mm. and, and I was trying to explain why I'm saying what I'm saying. And, and so um, she tried to browbeat me over the abortion thing, you know, saying, well, you know, uh, unborn lives matter, you know, they, they matter just as much of more than black lives and, and this and the other. So I, it, it, what, what dawned on me was that these so-called Christians are more upset mm-hmm. over the over someone using the word fuck in a sentence than they are over a human life who mind you may or may not have committed a crime but mm-hmm. didn't never have the due process but they were executed summarily so when i said i said, I said you know people are more moved by or christians are more upset by the use of the word fuck than they are a, a, a an unarmed black person being murdered mm. you know they were like oh well that's you know that's not a fair comparison and this that, and, the, and, I, and and listen i've been involved in the pro-life movement all of my adult life i've always um had a dim view of abortion mm. now um here's the thing about that and i'll say this that what what happens with a woman with a woman and her body is her business I have no right to tell her anything. Now I can have my opinion, I can have my belief, but it's I I don't have the right to inflict that on anybody else. But right. um, I, I I said to you know a lot of my pro life friends, I said, listen, you guys know I've been on the battlefield for this thing for for all of my adult life, and certainly since I've been in ministry, this has been a cornerstone of my ministry. And I said, and I'm just asking, you know, I, I've stood arm in arm with you guys. I said, I'm just asking you to do the same with me. Mm. And they refused. Yeah. So, so at that point I said, you know something, this is personal. Mm. And and so I began to just kind of let her rip with the profanity and, and people will come to me. Oh my God. Oh, I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you're doing it. I can't believe you're acting. I said, I said, until the, the body of Christians are more offended by a black man being summarily executed in this country than they are by the use of the word fuck. I'm going to keep saying fuck. Yeah. Fuck, 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 fuck. It's crazy to me. Like it's we're, we're obviously in like the wildest time. Like, I mean, What's and yet insane. It, in many ways we're not in anything new. Uh, maybe the only no. thing that's new is people are aware and, and maybe more people are yeah. filming and stuff, but, but it's a, it's a remarkable time. Um, that's um, it's, it's a remarkable thing that's unfolding before our eyes. And what fascinates me um, as someone that is white needing to educate myself, very privileged, very uh, fragile, definitely have my white fragility in my learning and, and going, Oh Jesus, I don't like that. I'm like freaking out when I'm starting to expose some yeah. of the stuff that's in me and my tradition and my, my history and, and, and my groups and my whatever. Um, 
what fascinates me is just how strongly if, if there's a group it seems on my feeds on my social media that are massively leading the way in trying to shut down the conversation it is white christians yeah uh, it's not it's not white people as a whole now it is no. in some sense white people as a whole of course but but my point is if i was to line up 100 people that were white and atheists and i was to line up 100 people that are white and christian evangelical christian mm -hmm. Yep. I, I know which group would have more people that are not going to be pro Black Lives Matter, not going to be, uh, or, or are going to yep. bring up some exceptions and go, oh, well, they don't care about the, the police lives, or they don't, oh, they're not all lives matter, or, you know, or what about abortion, or like uh, bringing up yeah. like fringe topics that are absolutely like true yeah. topics, like, yes. What about ism? But, but like, <laughs> that's not the topic, right? That's just what we're right. talking about. Like, is that something that you, because this, you're talking about this as a very specific moment. That, that this yeah. was a click but was that yeah. something that you as a black man were you aware of that dynamic quite heavily growing up in the oh, world of christianity yeah. like how yeah. did that work I, for you it, or did it just always, not bother you as much or, no, or were you it, silent about it or? it's always been there and but yeah i think that i was a little silent about it because at, at, at a certain level i had this desire to fit in you know, mm. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to, I wanted to get the preaching assignments, the teaching assignments, the speaking assignments. I wanted all of that. I wanted people to buy my book and all of that. You know, these things were important. And, and, uh, and you, again, you visited my church. Um, when, when we had our church, I, I pastored a predominantly white church. You know, we, we didn't have a, a large black uh, contingent. Uh, mm. So, so I, I, I was very mindful of all of that. But um, I, I, I've, I've been the victim of police brutality and I know people who have been victims of police brutality and, and I know how it goes. Um, uh, but then at, at the same time, you know, I, <laughs> this is so funny because, uh, I had a dust up with some of the grace movement people, uh, because when, um, uh, when, when the, uh, the incident with Mike Brown and Ferguson happened, um, mm. I, I think that's like about six years ago now, um, people in the grace movement, they were saying, oh, Derek, don't talk about police brutality. Don't talk about racism and don't talk about politics. You know, just preach the gospel. Just, just give, give people Jesus and, and, and Jesus will, will, you know, give it over to Jesus and Jesus will take it. And I, and I thought about this and I said, well, my great grandfather on my mother's side was born a slave and he was unique in the slave culture because he was the son of the plantation owner, mm. you know? So it, it was like, that was not a, a marriage of, uh, or marriage no. of any stretch. It was just, <laughs> you know, he was the product no, of no, rape. No. And, um, and, and so that, that's why I, I, part of the reason why I have the fair complexion that I have, you know, my, my, uh, my dad is a quarter Irish and that's the other part, you know? Mm. Um, but, I, you know, I knew these things happen, but what happened was it, it began to happen more frequently and, and then evidence was gathered. You know, people got these things on, on tape, on film, and there, there, there were more witnesses. And, and this has just been kind of um, culminating over time until we reached this tipping point. And, and so I've been on a ton of podcasts lately. I've been a guest mm. on, I, I don't know, in the, in the last... Um, 
in the last three weeks, I think I've been a guest on maybe 10 podcasts. Wow. And, and, and so I say to everyone, and, I, and I'll say it here too, that right now I'm at the junction of hope and despair. Mm. Now, the despair is obvious, right? I'm, I'm here because I'm a black man and I'm raising five black sons. And, and every time they say, I want to go out of the house and my oldest son is, I mean, he's, he's a, I mean, he should be a fitness model for crying out loud. I mean, he's like, you know, it's just, you know, he's cut, you know, he's in, he's a yeah, phenomenal yeah. shape. Um, and, and, and he gets up and he takes our dog and they go running mm. every day. And so when he gets up and he goes running, if he, if I'm up before him or if I'm up at the same time as him, I say, you know, Hey man, listen, be safe out there. You know, I said, come back alive. Okay. And he'll say, he'll be like, yeah, dad. Okay. And he goes out and he does his thing, but I really mean it because I'm, I'm, I'm afraid, especially in this pandemic season where everybody's on edge anyway, yeah. that, you know, that one wrong move and, and, and I don't, I, I, I tell these guys all the time. I said, listen, don't do anything to cause me to have to come and claim the, the contents of a body bag. And, and you know, white people don't have to say that to their kids. So, um, I, um, so that's the despair. You know, I, I, I'm like, this just keeps on happening. First, it was Ahmaud Arbery, then it was Breonna Taylor, and then it was George Floyd, and then it was Richard uh, Johnson. And, and all of these things, like right after one, one right after the other, and and then and now you had two black men that were found hanging in trees in California, and another one found hanging in a park in Houston, and it's like okay, I, you know, I, I had a, I had a, an episode on Sunday, where someone had posted a picture, and it was a woman, with what looked like her teenage son in her lap and she's holding his body and he's obviously dead and the backdrop is an american flag phil when i saw that picture i completely lost it i was just reduced to a puddle of tears i, I was i was supposed to be uh, i was supposed to be uh, on another podcast so i was supposed to be interviewing mm -hmm. someone and I completely missed it because it, I, I, man, I had to do some self-medication to help, you know, get myself through this because I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I'm, God, I'm tired. And, and people yeah. say, well, give it over to Jesus, but Jesus isn't fixing this and he's not yeah. going to fix it. Not like how, how people think that, you know, yeah. how people ascribe it to Jesus. So again, that's the despair. And, and, and I'm, I'm just, I'm emotionally and spiritually exhausted. Mm. But, but there are people like you who speak out against racism, who speak out against police brutality. And I'm seeing this in an order of magnitude that I've never seen in my life. And I'll be 58 mm. in August. Wow. I've never seen this in my life until now. There are more white people who are speaking out on this that are, um, you know, and, 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 they, and they really take it on the chin. I mean, oh, my God. Some of these people have been disowned by their families. They, they're castigated. They're called virtual, virtue signalers and, uh, and, and, and just, you know, snowflakes and all of these horrible, horrible uh, pejoratives. But they are standing. Mm. 
and 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 so many of them now that they they reach out and they call me and they say Derek how are you doing how are you holding up and they're calling other black friends and they're um they're putting their social capital at risk mm. you know because they could just kind of fade into the background and not do or say anything and 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 you know you, and you couldn't be really mad at them because you know i mean why would you uh, speak out on this. I mean, and because I've, I've told white friends for years, listen, I don't want you to march with me. I don't want you to necessarily make posts on social media about this. All I want you to do is just simply say that this is wrong. Mm. So all I, that's wow. all my ask has only been that. But Such now it's, it's just it, it, painful. Yeah. Like, that's the despair, right? I mean, when the bar is yeah. that low and you're still not getting it, but but the hope, man, like I said, is it's people like you right and and yeah. it's people like Keith Giles and it's people like Jason Elam, man. Jason Jason Elam, it, 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 you want a you want a guy who uh, as a guest for your podcast. Mm. This is a guy. Uh, Jason is like an ex professional wrestler uh, turned preacher. And, and, you know, and he was like a, a Southern Baptist, you know, fire and brimstone guy. And then he went from that to, you know, to preaching grace. And then he went from that to uh, uh, affirming the, the LGBTQ community. And he went from that to Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and everything that he's gone, every, everything that he's gone down this road, he's gone down that whole hog to where, you know, at, once upon a time, I think Jason had a church with about 2000 people. Wow. And now he doesn't have a church at all. As a matter of fact, <laughs> he, he and his wife got the fuck out of Alabama and went to Florida because it just kind of got so overwhelming. Yeah. And, and, but, but he's like, Jason is like calling me and, and texting me. He's like, dude, are oh, you okay? Great. You know? And, yeah. and that is the hope. Yeah. I really believe that in America, not just in America, I'm seeing this in the UK. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing yep. it in, in Germany, Matt, for crying out loud, there is even a protest, a Black Lives protest mat, uh, rally in Tehran. Wow. And and listen, I've had professional colleagues who are Iranian and they don't particularly like black people. No. But here, here you go. Wow. You know, th- th- this is this is resonating globally that people are tired of racism and, and, and they're tired of, of America trying to hide behind its moral, uh, you know, yeah. uh, superiority, feigned superiority and their and their military might. And now the, the, the rest of the world is calling America out on this. So, man, yeah. I'm hopeful. <laughs> no, it is, I was saying to my friends the other day, I was like, dude, I am getting pumped at how many countries are starting to call America on their shit. Because honestly, yeah. like you guys peaked with your like kind of world capital in Obama. He really recovered America because as yeah. someone outside of America, I can tell yeah. you America, not like a very um, impressive um, international uh, image during the Bush yeah. era. Obama peaked. I mean, the guy couldn't come across any cooler, better, intelligent. You know, he, he just felt like you were like, dude, I'd let him like, you know, be in charge of pretty much anything I have in my life. And I know yep. it'd be, it would come out better. Um, yep. You know, whether you believed, agreed with his politics, I'm like, I trust him with a lot of things. I'd like babysit yep. my kids, you know? Um, right. and, and, and it's just tanked right now. I mean, it's just through the, it's, it's beyond through the, 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 the bottom again, whatever you believe about politics. I mean, the way America is coming across is just, really really grim um but i'm really encouraged to see the world leaders around the world which i've not seen in decades i mean i don't think i've ever seen it in my life the rest of the world going uh 
guys, that's that's a humanitarian issue. Like you can't you can't do that. That's a that, you're violating like international war yeah. crimes. You're you're committing Violet. war crimes on your own citizens right now. Exactly. We're not accepting that. That's not okay. You know, you got the UN like uh, pushing for sanctions a bit against America, and you're like, when yeah. has that happened? Right? No one's right. <laughs> no one's willing to go there. But but they are right now, and, and I think that's the kind of I don't know if it makes any difference, um, especially with the current administration the way it is, or but I just I'm excited. You know, we 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 had a um, uh, a march in um, in our city. We've had marches throughout our our country, and not only just the the standing up and going, what is happening in America is disgusting and needs to change, and it is appalling that this is the state of affairs. That the fact that yep. people have to march about this topic is utterly horrific it's 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 a despair concept and yet yeah. looking around and going whoa there's twenty thousand people in this like not that big a city in the uk right. marching about this that's hopeful that that's hopeful but not only that the thing that really struck me was and it's not just about one person george floyd or police brutality in america it's a much bigger ownership of like yes. no this is our country as well this is our city and this is happening to the people on my left and my right it's yeah. not just a because i think it's very easy for a lot of the world to look at america and go oh yeah well jesus we don't have cops running around killing all our like black friends right i mean yeah. on the whole that's not happening I, I, there's definitely um different systemic racist issues within the justice systems of countries around the world i'm not saying there isn't mm -hmm. But it's very easy to look at America and go, yeah, we don't kill like a thousand people yeah. in the first like three months of the, you know, or whatever, or the last right. year. I mean, that's kind of like those kind of numbers are just, you know, insanity to most of like certainly Europe or, or like the West um, yeah. where we just we don't do that. Um, and so it's very easy for us to then go, ah, so they're racist and we're not. Um, and I can put my hand up. I've definitely thought things like that before um, of, of going, oh, racism looks like X. And yep. what it does is because we've got such an extreme label over one area, we can go, that's racism. And then I can ignore my much more subtle, implicit racism. And I'm probably still very explicit in other areas yep. I'm blind to as well. Um, and I get and I'm just really encouraged by people waking up to that. Sorry. No, no. The, the, the interesting thing is that, like, I have friends in the UK. Uh, I was just in London in February. That's right, and, yeah. and, and so uh, a lot of my friends and colleagues, they were, you know, they were asking me, man, what the fuck is going on with your country, right? You know, how, you know, what's up with this Donald Trump thing? And I'm like, dude, I have nothing to do with it. Um, but the, the interesting thing is, is that, um, you know, like Europe, has had racist they they deal with some with some historical racism and some current racism right but it's not it's not quite the same thing because see the thing is that america was literally built on it yeah i mean it, it condoleezza rice called slavery and racism america's birth defect right yeah. it was it was the thing that the country was built on and america would not have had the economic success that it had had not it been for the the lengthy period of free labor okay mm -hmm. so it's like now you know you went from free labor to apartheid and all of that and 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 basically what we have now is like what malcolm x called the chickens coming home to roost it's it's basically you cannot like I was, I was drinking my sparkling water here, and I'm not mm -hmm. a spokesman for this, but if I were to take this and prior to drinking it and give it a good shake, right? Give it a good shake, and then and then open up, then I'd have 
sparkling water everywhere because these pressurized contents are now agitated. Yeah. And you can't pressurize something and continuously agitate it and not expect for it to have a violent reaction. That's just the law of physics. Mm. And so, you know, black people have been oppressed, uh, systemically denied uh, capital resources, been denied education, been denied political power, and so on and so on and so on. And then compound this with police brutality and and uh, and racist targeting uh, uh, to uh, people that do harm to people. Um, all of this, it, it, it has created something in the collective psyche of Black mm. people. And here's the thing is that now I think we have the most uh, integrated society, you know, where, where you have like lots of interracial marriages, which mm. means a lot of interracial families. And then you have integrated workplaces and integrated schools and integrated marketplaces and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of exposure to different cultures within the American framework. And, and so, so these ideas is like, basically, when we go through something as black people, it spills over into other areas of life. And so there, there's always someone, there's always at least one who is empathetic and compassionate. Mm. And then there's also always one who isn't. And, and so it, it gets to be a foot race between these two factions, the people who care and the people who don't. And, and I think that now the number of those who care Mm. is winning wow. they're winning and and not only is it changing the social framework uh but it's also calling into question the social contract mm -hmm. and and that has widespread implications because now there are businesses it's like uh tim cook the ceo of apple recently fired the the head of diversity uh, because he felt that she wasn't really doing a good enough job. Mm. And, and, and he came back and wrote a letter as an op-ed piece saying how Apple is committed to diversity. So he said, you're going to see more uh, leaders who are, are you know, people of color, who are from the LGBTQ community, who are women in, in leadership. You're going to see more of that in Apple. Um, Jeff Bezos uh, responded to a customer that said, hey, you know, you support Black Lives Matter, so we're not going to support you anymore. And Jeff Bezos said, okay, fine, you're not the kind of guy we want as an Amazon customer. You know, it, it's like there, there are sea changes that are happening all over the place. I mean, for yeah. crying out loud, NASCAR. NASCAR. Yeah, I saw that. Probably That's crazy. The, the, it's, it's like the, the basically everybody, I mean, you know, it's a sport of racism. Right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's like racists love NASCAR because there just aren't any, there aren't any blacks in the audience. There aren't any blacks on the track, not blacks in the crews or anything like that. Blacks in management. But, and, and here's, there's a story to this. The French, it's a family, their last name is French. They are the founders of NASCAR of the sanctioning body. 
and and Bill French, who was the the, the patriarch, was no a known racist. And mm. so back in the fifties, there was this guy named Wendell Scott. He was he he was a bootlegger like most of the most of the other uh, NASCAR drivers, or a shine runner. You know, he he drove moonshine for the bootleggers. Sure. And, um, and, and, but he, he was a phenomenal driver and he was a phenomenal athlete and he was a, he was a, a, a fierce competitor and, and Bill French, you know, everybody told Bill French, look, if you, if you let that nigger drive on the, on the track there, you know, people are going to abandon the sport. And Bill French was like, he said, well, I don't, you know, he said, I ain't got to like him. He said, but the guy's good for business. And so he raced and he was the first black to drive a NASCAR and he was successful. He's in the hall of fame. You know, he, he wasn't just a, just a token. He was actually successful. So now fast forward and the French family are looking back on, on their, their family's past sins. And they're looking at this and say, okay, Confederate flag gone. You know, we're, we're going to have, we're going to have more diverse drivers, more diverse teams, uh, more diverse uh, everything, mm. you know, and and a matter of fact, there were I think it's like about 20, 25, eh, maybe thirty years ago, uh, Bill Cosby tried to buy a NASCAR team, and 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 the whole NASCAR sanctioning body they they weren't they wouldn't have it. They did everything to keep them locked out. So you know, so NASCAR is is now saying, hey, we're going to have cars that that wear Black Lives Matter li uh, livery, and mm. we're going to ban the Confederate flag, and 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 holy crap if nascar gets it everybody should get it there's a lot of room for hope isn't there yeah it is wow. i mean and I, so so like i said if if we can keep this momentum and remember that this is a marathon and not a sprint mm. and, and that we're that, that this is not going to be solved overnight if we could keep that collective mindset and this collective unity that that has developed in this I really believe that that honestly, we're we're at a point where we can literally change the world, mm. and I'm excited about that. Yeah, it seems it, so. In my study of just different um, different positions, policies, societal uh, acceptances, or or whatever, you know, like different things that have come along the way, along history, we've. we've we tend to be driven by fear, don't we? At the end of the day, and then yeah. our fears are instilled by whoever's in power, usually more than anyone else. But but it is a thing of like, oh, if we let um, interracial marriages marriages happen, this will happen. If we let the gays marry, this will happen. If we let whatever, you know, and it can be from the most small and benign thing. Some of the things that are, if this will happen, the whole society will collapse. Are kind of like crazy, right? I mean, like black and white people marrying, and you're like really you think if that happens society will erode like and yeah. yet that's a very um futurist position of me because if i was yeah. 40 years ago 50 years ago 100 years ago i probably would have also thought oh my god yeah like the whole society would just collapse if we, if we did that sure. or i can think back maybe 10 years and i would have thought oh god yeah if we let gay marriage happen it'll erode what's fascinating is i can think that while i'm living in America, doing some, uh, you know, a uh, Bible school and, and being a part of like the American church and organization. What's weird is I've got some serious cognitive dissonance going on because back in the UK, there's no real problem with people having same sex relations. Like that's just that, that ship had sailed at that point. Right. You know? Yeah. And so what's fascinating is I know society doesn't fall apart. It's fine. Society is great. In fact, to be honest with you, 
society is a lot better in my opinion as, as, as a european hippie liberal um you know i'm looking at it going oh, society's great and it didn't destroy our society it just it just kept going and and i think yeah. there's there's this element of we need these tipping points which almost force the decision upon us it forces things it forces nascar to have a black driver and then everyone goes oh actually that didn't really change anything overly yeah if I was a lot better, damn, he was a really good competitor and it made the race much more exciting. Yep. I guess we can have some black people in. I guess that doesn't really matter. You know, right. it's, it's almost this, once we realize the fear actually doesn't add up, it doesn't come to anything, right? And, and you look at like, man, I, I, I just reading some of the history, I'm not, I'm not massively aware of a lot of history. It's not, it's not especially, I love reading history, man. I, like, I, whenever I pick up yeah, a history, this is fascinating. Um, but I just don't spend enough time doing it. But um, reading some of the history of, of the kind of post-emancipation era is fascinating. Um, yeah. Just reading how, how hard society fought to make sure that on the whole, not much changed though. If, if we could yep. just make sure that there wasn't really any form of integration, black people had no power. We didn't, we made sure they didn't become educated. They didn't have any opportunity to own property, to marry, to, to do basically anything. Like, right. And, and all of it was this fear driven kind of like, oh yeah, uh, um, oh, black people are, they're all animals. They'll rape everyone. And, and these kind of narratives yep. that became, these were like in our movies, yep. in our, our books and yeah and it's just the powerful fear because it may the reason i've been thinking about this a lot is i'm i I'd, i'm not in a position to be able to comment on um you know black indigenous people of color like I, I can't comment on that at all having no experience of that other than probably being on the very wrong side of history on that one um but i can look at my own group i can look at my world especially the world i've come out of which is white evangelicalism and i look at it and there's there's a lot more despair in that group than hope in in my opinion uh most of my white friends that are uh waking up to this being an issue mm -hmm. trying to educate themselves marching you know supporting becoming allies becoming um you know co-conspirators you know like oh I, I can those people are not in the white evangelical group you know um, and so my, i i guess I'm, I'm trying to go what is the fear how do we push past that how do we how do we because i i don't see education clicking no uh, and, it's and, not and clicking. it's not here here's the thing it, it's it's a it's gonna ha it's gonna require a change of heart and mind right and a change in habits um because in in europe it's a little bit different you know people were afraid of um you know, mixed marriages because they thought it would it would cause the decline of society, and uh, and they were afraid of you know gay marriage because it would cause the decline of society, and so on and so forth. But in America, with um, with the uh, how with the black and the native populations, there's something deeper, mm. and here it is that there is there is a fear of reprisal mm. because. American Christianity knows that it was complicit in the massacre of Indians or Native Americans. It and it was complicit in the in the enslavement of people and how slavery was was uh, carried out. So they know there's a collective guilt that that uh, that is there, and this guilt breeds a fear that says that if we give them power 
they will exact their revenge. Mm. And, and, and that is the big fear. That's why the evangelical community uh, is, is really opposed to all of this because they, it was like the whole Obama phenomenon. You know, Barack Obama was, uh, was a Christian man who had been married to one woman, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the, his whole life and had a beautiful family and, and they couldn't find anything on him. There was no dirt to be had on this guy. There was nothing. I mean, literally nothing. And they were afraid that if a black man became president, that he would do some things to make things quote unquote right for black people. Mm. But but Obama understood something. And, and I, I'm really of the mindset that he could have done more for black people than he did, but I understand where he came from because he saw this as a bigger thing, and and it wasn't just a black thing, but this he saw this as something that was really good, really better for the country, and so he did his best to make sure that he would that he was the president for all people. Mm. That 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 he that he looked after everyone and not just black people. So. Now you have you have Donald Trump and 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 Donald Trump is literally the anti-Obama. I mean, literally, um, you know, th- because basically during the Obama years, people had so much pent up frustration about a black man being a, the leader of the free world, and and they began to think some things and say some things privately. But then here comes Trump, and Trump says what they think privately publicly and and so one of the things that was mind-blowing to me during his candidacy that whenever they ask people well are you are you gonna vote for donald trump and they're like hell yeah i'm gonna vote for him i said well why are you gonna vote for him they said because he speaks his Mm. mind in other words trump is saying publicly all of the hateful evil unchristlike things that they're thinking publicly so as, as a result what he's done is he's made you know his, his mantra was make america great again which america was never great um not like they think uh what what he did was he made racism acceptable again mm. you know that, that that people can just come right out and say disparaging things or do disparaging acts and it's fine because the president of the united states does it Mm. i mean if the president does it it's gotta be okay or you know people are saying well maybe if i do just a little bit more maybe i'll i can move the needle with the president and he can say okay well you know uh, if i do some violence against black people maybe he'll he'll come out and he'll codify that and say that it's okay, you know, to, to wage violence against against minorities, and and so so the, it's it's a very complex dynamic, mm. but at, at the at the same time, I think we have we have white people waking up daily. I mean, by the thousands who are saying, you know, okay, this guys, this is really fucked up. You know, mm. we, we've done we've done some people some really real real harm, and we really need to fix this. 
we need to we, we need to do some things to set things right so now you have you you have you have whites and mar and blacks marching together they're 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 um you know they're exchanging dialogue they're eating together they're they're you know they're spending time together and all of this i really believe because like in my professional career most of my colleagues are hindu mm. the vast majority so um when when i when when i'm on a project or we're doing a deal or something and and uh and i'm having dinner with my colleagues you know we sit down and we talk and 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 i'm very interested in people's cultures mm. very interested in their languages very interested in how they interface with their families their children and so on and so so i ask a lot of questions and i really want to know because it's it, it's really it means a lot to me and so you know you have these conversations and somebody say oh well i take it that you're from america you must be a christian i'm like yeah, yeah i'm a christian and I get further down the path and they say oh and i say yeah i, I was a pastor and they're like oh my god you're, you're like the nicest pastor I've ever met in my life since wow. I've been in the U.S. or whatever. And, you know, you're, you're amazing. And, and, it, and it's not that I'm anything special. I'm not. I'm just a guy. But the thing is, is I take the time to listen. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's and, and that's what it's going to take. It, it when if again, if we can keep this momentum going, you know, um, like, like I said, I, I remember when you were here, um, you know, we've had lots of different people preach and teach or whatever, you know, but my kids liked you, <laughs> you know, they said, they said, you know, they said, Phil Drysdale is cool, you know, right. and, and, That's and it. You know, if I can get one or two people in this world to speak, to convince me, I'm cool. You are, I mean, you're, you're amazing, awesome. you know, but the, the, the thing is, is that it, it was uh, you know, us having the opportunity to spend time. And then even after we had had that, uh, the two encounters where we met physically, um, you know, we, we've maintained uh, contact and, you know, we, we, you know, we'll reach out to each other periodically. Hey man, how are you doing kind of thing? And, and I really think that that's what it is. And, and, mm -hmm. and also looking into their lives, right? You know, because it is like, I remember when, when you and Tilly got married, I was like, just so happy for you, you know, yeah, yeah. it was, it was just, you know, it's just awesome. So, yeah. um, you know, you, you, you see people, you know, moving on and, you know, uh, moving into new property and all of these different things. And you're just like, you know, you're happy for them because you're, you're really curious about how they're living and, and really, mm. um, you know, you have empathy and compassion for that. So, yeah. If we just have more of that, dude, I, that's that's the hope in me, yeah. you know. And 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 right now, even though the despair is wearing on me heavily, I think hope is winning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I think I think this with most topics. I was just in the south, like at the beginning of this year, and. It is just fascinating hanging out in um, where is like Louisiana, Georgia, you know, yeah. and some rural places in both. Um, and I was in Atlanta as well, you know. So I was in like some more kind of like um, built-up cities, um, but just astonished talking to different people and the things that um, I came across. And I just, and I know I, I spend a lot. Most of my following are in America. I spend a lot of the year, you know, when I when I am traveling in America. Like I, I know America. I, I'm, I I shouldn't be shocked by America. I remember in um, 
uh, I was in uh, Monroe, kind of small city in, in Louisiana, not a big Louisiana. place. And, yep. and uh, talking to this young girl, bumped into her in a coffee shop, talking to her. And um, she is um, first-generation American. I think her parents were Indian. She might have been second-generation. Maybe they were first-generation. I can't remember exactly the details. She's about 22 and she's doing a master's in English, you know, art degree. And um, she was talking about her boyfriend that she's been going out with for about a year, who's also doing a master's in some sort of arts degree, you know? So you're thinking like young, progressive, you know, educated. Um, and she told me that she'd just broken up with him. And I was like, oh, what, what's going on? And she's like, well, after one year, I finally snapped because he wouldn't even introduce me to his friends as his girlfriend. He would just call me his friend. And he wow. wouldn't let me meet his family. And after enough pushing, he basically said, well, it's because you're not white. And I was like, wow. I, I remember sitting there and I, I was almost in tears. I was kind of floored by this, but I, but, the, but I couldn't cry from sadness of this situation, uh, of this person clearly felt something for this person. They've been going out for a year. I couldn't cry at the sadness of it because I was so shocked and appalled that something like a mixed race issue would be an issue for someone that's in their early twenties, educated, um, in, in 2020. Um, and yet it still is. And yet saying that it's astonishing to me, the conversations I had in those rural areas, you've talked to people over a certain age and across the board, you know, the, the, the likelihoods that they would become a bit more open to, uh, you know, uh, being aware of sexism, racism, um, homophobia, you know, things like that um, was very slim. You start dropping the age and it would start increasing bit by bit by bit by bit. You get down to like, I talked to one 15 year old girl who's from a very conservative family. Um, and I was like, like, so what are your views on, I can't remember, I think it was like homophobia, uh, homosexuality or something like that. And she's like, well, I know it's wrong. And you know, I know my family thinks it's wrong and stuff. She's like, I got loads of gay friends. So I don't really care. And some of my friends are trans. I'm like, I don't really see what the deal is, but I know it's wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, that, and I'm like, do any of your friends have like that view? And she's like, none of them. And I'm like, dude, these kids are being raised by Netflix, by YouTube, by, yeah. and, and I think there is an element of society moves forward one way or another, whether we like it or not, it drags, you know, the, the cosmos love, right? This fabric that's quantum mechanics for the quantum field holding us here. It's dragging us into a more inclusive world bit by bit anyway. There feels like there is an acceleration. I don't know if it is the internet. It's it's that globalization. It's the connectivity. Um, but I'm also aware of like, that's really nice for me, the privileged white guy to watch on and go, oh yeah, I'll be fine in 80 years. Or, you know, like yeah. it, it's not something I want to do though. I want to be, well, okay. Even if I can be a part of changing that to be 78, nine years, let's do that. Yeah. Whatever I can yeah. be doing. And, 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 sure. and so I, I think there is a, there's a tension there of like, watching on and going okay we've got a lot to be hopeful for and this is this will probably change this probably will shift but we gotta we gotta figure out how to act and i guess that's that's the big thing for me is this the church you know looking at some of the church's responses some of the big churches as well and some of these yeah. big names in christianity making some horrendous like faux pas oh my um, God. like louis giglio that was <laughs> Now, to be fair, you know, Louis Giglio came back and he did a he did, he an did apology. a great apology, and, and he, I, a heartfelt one at least. I, I really felt that 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 uh, out of everybody that's apologized for some you know racial faux pas, I think that his was by far and large the most sincere. Yeah. You know, 
Um, but what was funny is that Lecrae, mm. a black Christian rapper, was the one who was interviewing him. And, right. as and seemed to be Giglio nodding was, along the whole way yeah, through, right? He's, he's nodding along as he's talking about white mm. blessing. And I'm like, what the fuck? Actually, I mean, you know, at some point you, you have to step back and say, okay, this, you can't just let this go. You've got to say something. So not only did he not say anything at that time, but he gave a really tepid response you know, you know, he tried to, you know, frame it like, you know, like, you know, uh, black swagger, you know, like, you know, what I'm saying, you know, what I'm saying, you know, <laughs> where he's trying to sound cool, but I'm listening to the content of what he's saying. And I'm like, I said, man, I said, I said, when it comes to the, uh, you know, the remediation from this, I said, Louis Giglio just kicked your ass, man. You mm. know, and, and, and that's sad because here's the problem is that you, you have, you have black people who have learned to uh to not speak up you know to accept the abuse and as a result you know they become accommodationists and and so you you got people like lecrae and candace owens and ben carson uh you know um uh what's the name um uh, um mark west i think is I, think, I know his last name is west i don't know what his first name is or, or the uh tim scott the uh senator from south Korea. You, you have all of these people mm. and basically you know in in black culture we call them uncle toms you know um but irrespective of that they are are saying things that basically um provide fodder for confirmation bias for a lot of evangelicals and i'm like you know listen don't give these guys ammo yeah you know because the the idea is we're not trying to, I, and let me let me make one thing perfectly clear to all of your listeners and viewers <laughs> that i'm not you know trying to browbeat white people about this i i have you know let me put it this way most of my friends are white it, it, it has to do with where where I live and, you know, the experiences that I had. I've been in the military. I've been a consultant. So I, I've traveled the world. And that and that's my my framework. Um, but I, I'm not trying to say anything that to browbeat white people or trying to get them to, you know, hey, you got to see it my way. No, that's that's not the thing. What I want to see happen is just that if you take a look at this objectively mm. you know through your own lens you'll see it for what it is yeah. and if you see it for what it is you'll call it out now it, there'll be some people that look at it and they say well Derek you know I agree that's really messed up but you know I can't say anything because of my job or because of my family or whatever and I get that I get that not everybody is going to have the license to do that but uh, I'm grateful for the for the people who who are laying it all on the line right now mm. um uh, it's like I, I have another buddy, Carl Forehand, um, and and Carl and his wife Laura. Oh my God, you know, Carl's a, Carl's a white guy like my age. He's like uh, he's like fifty six, fifty seven, and his his wife's a little bit younger. But you know, and and he grew up like in Oklahoma, you know, out wow. in the in in the country, and and for someone like him to get this and say, you know, okay. I don't care what my friends, you know, all of these people that I've grown up with and, and my community, what they say about me, right is right. And I'm going to address this and I can't do anything mm. but applaud someone like that. Cause that's that, that you don't have to do that. 
nobody's forcing you to do that. Nobody's even asking you to do that, but it's like they do it. And so, um, yeah, as, as people like Kathy Baker is another friend of mine on the internet or uh, Joanne Maldonado, they, um, uh, Victoria Matthews. I, I'm just thinking of all of these, all of these people, Keith Giles and mm. um, Jason Elam. Um, uh, who else? Uh, Bill Thrasher. Oh my God. Bill Thrasher has just I been awesome. Michael Porter. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Bill is like amazing. I, I, I had, I was in Atlanta over the Christmas holiday and we got to have, we got to have brunch. So we called it our first bromance date. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I went along to his um, house church in, in February yeah. or something. The first time. Yeah. Cool so it's, it's like, uh, you know, all these people that are, I mean, they, they have everything to lose and nothing to gain. But yet, and still, they're on the front lines. They're laying it on the line, and and so yeah. I'm I'm just I'm just really encouraged by all of that. That is, it is encouraging. It's, it's, yeah, it's it's really really encouraging. And and I and I think at the end of the day, we have everything to gain from this. This is like it's gain our humanity. I, I think like yeah. there's um I was watching a video yesterday, and uh, I'm I'm not an authority, and I'm probably going to butcher it because it was yesterday. I watched it, and I watched like an hour and a half video, <laughs> and that's it. So that's my expertise is one and a half hours of YouTube. Um, but it was on the concept of um, post traumatic slave syndrome, um, mm -hmm. and uh, fascinating concepts that. Um, talking about, you know, like when you have post-traumatic stress, you know, you, you have that, you go to war, you come back and you've been like shell-shocked and all sorts of different stuff. Yeah. And that's, that's horrific. And we can look at, or you've been abused as a kid. That's like some one-off instance here or there. Maybe abuse is maybe a bit more prolonged, but maybe you were abused once and that was it. You were raped or something. It's a one-off mm -hmm. instant. And that can just fuck you up for life. I mean, it really can screw yeah. you up. But when you look at something like um, the, the systemic racist policies and, 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 and ongoing systems of slavery and, and things like that for, you know, decades, centuries. Um, yeah. We look at actually, we can find there's like these long, I, I'm, I know I'm probably preaching to the choir for you, but I'm just kind of fleshing this That's out so okay. people listen to the podcast. But, but, yeah, people need, but the, people the concept need of like, when you look at that over decades and decades and generations and generations, we look at the level of trauma there is so ingrained. But what fascinated me was I was like, yeah, wow, I've never thought of that, but I've kind of maybe thought about it on some level for the, the black community, for people of color, indigenous people, you know, I, I've, I've thought about it on that level. But what's interesting, she says, this affects white people. And she was like, this, if you think, how does it affect in a traumatic way, people of color, black people, indigenous people, think about what kind of effect does it have for you after church to go to the local lynching and watch them hang black men and not even flinch week right. in, week out. And you have become so able to dehumanize a black person that you probably see a man kicking a dog to death in the street and you'd be mm -hmm. outraged. But you just watched yep. someone get, hang a black man and you didn't care. You may have even cheered right. or clapped or whatever, right? Yeah. When you've done that and you've grown up in that and then your kids have grown up in that and, and that's been and, – and what it is is you have systemically and, and built into your entire makeup the inability or, or an intentional blindness to your own complicity and you, you're at a, yep. an intentional blindness to people of color, to people um, who are in a different – and I was like, gosh, that – is a that's, whole that's deep it's and not I never, just i never i never considered that it's not just we have to and this is why I, I was talking to my friend the other day um my friend she's 
um, part Iranian. So she's she's been kind of caught up in this and it's been really hard for her and I've been trying to be sensitive in, in my processing. I don't want to burden her with my processing, but she's amazing and she loves me and we're very close friends. So we kind of talking about this and she was processing a bit. And, and I was just, I was thinking, this is, the conversations I'm having are so helpful for me and my growth and my education, especially in the process of trying to help other white people see some things like that's been helpful. But I'm very aware that so many are just utterly blind and, and they'll hear a phrase like racist and go, ah, like someone in a hood, like lynching Mm -hmm. a black man. I'm not that. So I feel attacked because you're calling me that. And that's not what people are calling me. Or they'll hear right. a thing like white supremacy and they go, oh, like the KKK movement. Like, yeah. I'm not that. Like, how dare like you say I'm a part of white yeah. supremacy or white privilege? And they go, well, I'm in a wheelchair. Like, how dare you call me privilege? Or, uh, uh, and so there's these, these immediate shutdown defenses. And um, I don't think it's, uh, uh, not even I don't think, I know it's not on the black community, indigenous people to be educating white people or trying to soften the message to to help them with their fragility right but i do think it's on people like me other white people to go how are we educating people in ways that they're going to be able to understand because the truth is someone like louis giglio white blessing probably the worst choice of words to try and fix the concept of privilege but he's preaching to predominantly white people he knows he's trying to educate himself and going okay if i say privilege you're going to shut down it's it's a it's yep. a problem word for them. So how could I say it differently? And he throws out blessing, and he meant blessing. I, I have no doubt about it. But he's right. he's immediately learned his lesson and gone. Oh shit, that was not right. How was it wrong? Yeah. Oh, God, that's a terrible thing to say. Why did I say that? You could see he was upset yeah. by it. And honestly, <laughs> yeah. if you're gonna make those mistakes, like hats off to you for trying to do the work, make the mistake, and then stand up and go. Oh shit, I'm really yep. sorry. Thank you for calling me on my crap. Thank you for like yep. you know pointing at me and jabbing yeah, he, me. He he gets kudos that, for owning it. Yeah. If, if you're going to do it, you know, at least if at least do it right. The, the, the reparation, you know, um, yep. but I, I can see his mindset or I, I can imagine his mindset that led him to a very, very incorrect place. Because I've been trying to think when I'm having this conversation with people and, and if I don't know if you've seen my feed, but I mean, I don't know how much my audience is white, but they're showing up in droves right now. Uh, and, and their comments, you just go, you're not going to. You can't get it. You can't hear a word like racist and, and not switch off. You can't hear a word like privilege and switch off. Um, and I think it's, I'm, I'm really intrigued. Do, do you have thoughts on that? On, on how, how do people within the, you know, the, the white community go about, you know, creating a narrative without, because the thing is, I know for a fact that we shouldn't be watering down privilege we shouldn't be watering down supremacy we shouldn't be watering down racist because these things are racist they are white supremacy they are you mm-hmm. do, do you understand that dynamic because this is something i i, I yeah. really wrestle with of going i am not trying to lessen this at all but i'm also aware if i keep saying the same thing they're gonna keep not listening <laughs> i don't know how to get them to listen do you, how have you kind of gone about this? I know you have this conversation with a lot of white people yourself. Yeah. You know, basically all I do is I try to get people to see it, you know, um, at, at the end of the day, right. You, it's like any new learning, right. That when you're trying to teach somebody something until they see it in an applicable sense for themselves, they won't get it. Mm. But 
I, I think that that what happened was in the case of Ahmaud Arbery, I believe that that was, you know, between that and George Floyd, uh, that those were tipping points because these were incidents that were caught on on tape and 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 it was almost impossible to 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 miss the context. Mm-hmm. So it, it's like the only people who are disagreeing with that now are people who either didn't see the footage or people who have seen the footage, but they've decided that I'm, I'm just not, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be that snowflake. I'm not going to be that, that, mm. that wussy. I'm, I'm tough and, and I'm proud of my race and whatever. And, and again, nobody's trying to call shame on white people. Uh, but this is what I do say is that, and, and I've, I've ch- this has been very challenging. I tell my white friends, listen, you know, I said, well, you know, there's there's racism on both sides. I said, well, no, not exactly. I said, because there are three different three degrees of discrimination. You have prejudice where, uh, you know, I don't really know uh, about Irish people. And so I, I, I might say something about Irish people, but I'm saying it because I've never met an Irishman. Right. But as soon as I meet an Irishman, then I could say, OK, yeah, Irish people aren't so bad. Right. So my prejudice has been overcome. Bigotry is the next step up, right? Bigotry says, okay, I know some Irishmen, but I don't care. I just, I like, I like berating them because it makes me feel better, right? And, and, and so that's, that one's a little bit harder to overcome because now what you're doing is you're battling ingrained knowledge, right? Uh, you know, people, people look down on somebody or like, if you're a black person, don't like white people, you know, you're a bigot, even though you've met some white people, you say, well, I think all white people are devils, right? And, mm. and, and that's still, that's all wrong. But that's, that's bigotry, but bigotry can be, can be fixed. You know, it, it just, it takes somebody seeing it like, and, and I, I look at like uh, Jesus and the parable of the Good Samaritan. Mm. And that was a story about race and, 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 and dealing with racism, because the Samaritans, were the persona non grata of that of that era they would have drank they would be the people that drank from the colored water fountains right mm-hmm. and uh so so jesus takes a priest which is the highest possible you know um career path that you could be or or, or a social uh sect that you could that you could have and then he said a levite which the levites represented the the priestly caste you know so it's like you got you got the 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 the, the most most religious people and their most religious leaders ignoring the plight of this guy but along comes Hmm. who a samaritan the dregs of society and he takes the guy and ministers uh health to him so so the thing is there there has to be more good samaritan experiences like there Hmm. was a uh an incident that happened over in in london i I, well maybe it wasn't in london it was somewhere in england and it was a protest and it was a right-wing um uh you know white supremacist that was um you know, basically in the crowd and something happened. He had a medical condition and he, and he passed out and some big black dude throws him over his shoulder and carries him to safety, you know, so that they, uh, you know, the, the, the other black folks can't just, you know, kick his ass. Right. So, so, um, some, so this guy, I believe will have an experience because he'll say, Hey, if it wasn't for this black guy, I'd probably be dead. So, Sometimes it, it, it takes that. But the last one, racism is more insidious. Racism is when people use race as the determining category 
to deny people uh, economic, social, or political power. Mm. That, that they use race as a means of disenfranchising and oppressing uh, people based along, along racial lines. And, and race, racism is really hard to overcome, really hard to get rid of because the people who are um, the people who are of the class of the oppressing class, even if they themselves are not racist, they benefit from the racism. Yeah. So, so to try to get someone to give up, you know, things, advantages that they've had to try to tear down this apparatus is a big ask. So the, the, the catch is, is that what, what we have to do is we have to deal with things where we can, if you can, if you can, um, eradicate prejudice and mitigate bigotry and and see and and explain how extending the social contract to the the disenfranchised the minorities the oppressed uh, whatever that if you're extending the social contract to them that that improves the lot of society and if if you can if you can show that that's the key to winning yeah um so, so that's, that's what I, what I try to do. It's like, basically, um, you're not going to be worse off because I'm better off. Mm. The thing is that we're taught, uh, in, in, you know, classical Western education, uh, the whole zero sum philosophy of life mm. that, that in order for me to have more, you must have less, but I believe that the pie is actually pretty infinite. And and it could be it could be reshaped a lot of ways, so so me having more rights or me having more money doesn't necessarily mean you have less. It, it just means that I've done something that that creates value, that enables society to part with some of their capital on my behalf. Yeah. So so that's that's the thing. It's like we we have to. Um, I, I think that we have to be patient. And, and, I, and I'll tell you something, that's a hard one for me because I'm like, I want justice now, yeah. now. But at the same time, I'm almost 58 years old and it hasn't been around for most of my life. So I understand that like, while I may want it now that I may, ha- I may sense an imperative here that uh, I have to remember that this is a marathon and not a sprint. That this is this is a matter of endurance and not just ability. So so I, I've I've got to hang in there. I've got to be. I've got to exercise empathy. I've got to emphasize, um, exhibit compassion. Um, I have to spend time with people, getting to know people, and then I have to be the change that I want to see. Mm. Because if, if, if basically no one who's trying to get uh, an understanding from me can do any better than what they see me doing so so in order for in order to uh to make the world better i must first make sure that i'm better yeah that's good that's really good i i'm wondering uh, something i've noticed about america that it's not unique to america but it, america do it better than everyone else like <laughs> like everything right you gotta, you gotta do it to the next level um uh, and that works sometimes in certain areas and, and other areas you don't want to be first, but you still are. Um, but uh, the political duality 
that goes on in America. You know, it's something I remember observing when I was in, uh, in California and I was in a very, very right-wing, conservative, evangelical, charismatic church. And the degree to which they couldn't, they couldn't vote certain ways because of two issues, three issues. They couldn't, um, they couldn't want to see um, a group of people get um, affordable health care because no. that would mean this. You know, it would mean the gays right. win or it means abortion or this. Uh, do, do you see, because to me, I've always wondered, and it's more obvious to me in recent years, but how much race, race is kind of interwoven. And the thing that stood out to me that made me wonder is when I first moved to uh, California, it was the year and the month, uh, or it was a month before, um, you guys were voting on um, Obama and who was, was it Romney the first time? uh first time it was um uh john mccain. mccain yeah mccain and then it was romney next time so when it was when it was mccain i was like wow like okay cool you guys are really into mccain i'm i'm from europe so i'm like okay i'll just let the americans do their thing whatever i don't know i heard some stuff but that's cool the the second time round, it it just blew my mind because there was that thing of that fear where like obama hasn't eroded society you know like we all feared he didn't become a, we didn't become a Muslim state because he was secretly a Muslim or any kind of weird, right. weird, crazy kind of racist kind of stuff. Um, but what's fascinating is I, I watched a very, very um, powerful Christian evangelical movement reject Christianity to make sure they didn't vote Obama, where they would, they literally said, this Mormon right now, you and I have been Christianity long enough mm -hmm. that we know we don't like Mormons. We think Mormons are yep. cults, but they literally were like, this Mormon is God's choice. He's the Christian vote. He's the, you know, yep. and I'm like, but Obama's been here for four years and he's still going to church. And he's like, he says he's a Christian and he's, he's yep. doing a good job, but they couldn't because it didn't actually matter if this guy was Christian or not. What mattered was his policy on, and for this church, it was one thing, really. It was abortion. It, yeah. There was other things. Right. And I wonder, you know, to me looking on, I'm like, oh, if there's people that are extremely anti-Black Lives Matter, you know, uh, seem to be more racist, it does seem that they tend to be on the right-leaning side of that duality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is, is this holding the church back as well, do you think? It, is it there is a way for them to engage with that and still hold some of their politics? But... There is there is an unholy alliance between politics, uh, between conservative politics and religion, and 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 basically until that stranglehold is broken, that's always going to be a problem. Now, here's the the interesting thing, is that um, the number of Christians in America is declining. Mm. I don't I don't think that it's so much that people are abandoning spirituality or they're abandoning God, but they're definitely abandoning all the um, religious structures and hierarchies. Yeah. And, and, and so people are not being, they're not under the influence of some, you know, right wing um, militant preacher. Right. Right. So, so as what, and, and the, the, the religious right also fears their power base dwindling. And, and so a lot of their efforts, a lot of their reaction is 
you know, in response to, uh, you know, we're 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 now uh, looking at um, at LGBTQ and um, marriage equality and and all of that, and and abortion has become a sidebar. You know where where this was like the chief dog whistle, and there's a there's a, a really good article, um, and I reposted it today, but it talks about the origins of the religious right, and and basically mm. how they you know they they say that this was that uh, that abortion was the rallying cry, but it really wasn't. This had its origins in Bob Jones University in yeah. Oklahoma, and, um, and 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 segregate. Excuse me. Uh, segregation so that was really you know so racism had a role in in right wing uh in in the right wing um uh you know marriage with uh with with religion Mm. so so basically you know abortion was the rallying cry because it was the thing that they could say without uh saying anything overtly racist right Mm -hmm. so Basically, I, I and I've said this about abortion. My personal view. This is Derek, right? I, I happen to think that abortion is wrong because I believe that that unborn babies are human being, be human beings, and they have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, just like everyone else. The only problem is, is that in order for this baby, this fetus, to come to term, that it has to take up residence in a woman's body for nine months. Well the woman has the right to decide what happens with her body that basically for for a man or for a religious order or for a politician to say um that what women or to be able to dictate to women what they do with their bodies is like the equivalent of saying that you couldn't paint your house pink if you wanted well, if you've paid for it and you have the title deed, and let's say you live in an area where there are no covenants or restrictions or no HOAs or anything like that, then my God, if you want to paint your house pink, go for it. Now your neighbors are not going to like it, but that's your thing. So, so the thing is, is that I can't, or, or for example, you were talking about Netflix, you know, you might go to Netflix and, and, you know, I don't know, you, you, you might watch uh, James Bond, right? But I may say, well, I think you should watch 13th, right? Well, I, even though I think you should watch 13th, it, it, I can't come into your house and tell you what to watch. Mm. Because if you, if you do that immediately, you're going to say, well, you're violating my right to, you know, my personal space and my personal property. And, and because I have the right to bear arms, I can shoot you for doing that. But that, that, that same logic doesn't apply to a woman who's carrying a child. Mm. And, and, there, and there are a lot of dynamics as to why, you know, because they, they make this big thing about, you know, uh, late-term abortion by choice. Nobody's having late-term abortions by choice. That's not happening. That's, that's a straight-up lie. But that's that's what what's being said because we have to hang on to this abortion issue mm-hmm. because this is how we're going to prosecute a racist agenda without being overtly racist. <laughs> 
It's really, it's, it's one of the weird ones. And I'm very aware that this is two guys talking about abortion. So I, maybe we won't go too far down this, but it, it is a fascinating, at least looking at it from the, the kind of cognitive dissonance uh, zone is talking to people probably a little bit older than yourself. You know, you, you, you're still a young guy, Derek, um, but yeah. older than yourself, you know, we don't go back that far. You get into the, you know, sixties, early seventies and the progressive, uh, the progressive, sorry, the Protestant church in america didn't have a problem with abortion it wasn't it wasn't an issue it was a big issue for the catholics the catholics were a big kind of anti-abortion but that was not an issue for uh protestants they decided actually it was after roe v wade it was it was the moral majority it was the farwells and these guys that were like let's make this a the 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 main voting issue for christians let's really ramp this up um now they might have been bang on the money i'm not saying that you know like abortion was right or wrong you know maybe the catholics were right all along you know i'm just saying what's fascinating is that the protestants have erased their entire history before that when it comes to the topic of abortion they they, they just yeah. can't remember that they ever were like well actually there was a point where we didn't seem to care about that um right it, it's literally like it's all or nothing i mean i've talked to americans that can literally dictate if you talk to them about 100 different policies and i love stuff like politics so when i lived in america yeah. i'd literally be like what do you think about this or what do you think about that what do you think about that and they're they're like rattling out very strong democrat policies like positions mm-hmm. and i'm like wow you sound really left-leaning and they're like i guess i am but unfortunately i can't vote for babies to be murdered and i'm like right okay you know and and again there's even topics of like well actually what brings down abortion rates and things like that you know, i mean even that yeah. is a, a a wild conversation to have but it, it's fascinating our ability not to it, it just scares it, it scares me tech you know just i think educating myself in race in the last couple of years and much more in the last kind of six months i've been very intentional about it um like it scares me how blind i was to it and, and then maybe yeah. it scares me a lot of other things I've, I've been aware of. Gosh, I was blind to this. How, how you don't see, like what you were saying at the beginning, right? How the mm-hmm. heck did I not see that? Um, it's a very, very scary thing. And, well, and it's, you know, yeah. Like, like would take the, the issue of healthcare. Healthcare is a big issue in America. The United States is the only major industrialized country that does not have universal healthcare. The only one. And, and, and people say, well, we can't have that because that's socialism. Well, you know, there, there are a lot of things that we have that are socialist, you uh-huh. know, um, uh, we, we have corporate welfare, which that's very socialist. We, we, we have, um, um, you know, we, we have uh, veterans programs, which that's very socialist and, and so on and so on. You know, th- there's just a lot of it, but this thing um, is, it's like a, a very emotionally charged issue. Mm. But if you, you know, like what, what happens is, is that you'll run across somebody who has a catastrophic illness or their child has a catastrophic illness. And, um, you know, and I, I was, you know, I, I, I had experienced this before, like I was married before and, uh, and my wife died of cancer. Mm-hmm. And, and what happened was I actually know what it's like to hit your lifetime maximum for your health insurance policy, you know. I know what that is. And, and, and then at that point, you're either depending on uh, the, the benevolence of the, of the doctors and the hospitals to, uh, to get things done. Well, nobody should have to make those decisions to decide whether or not we eat or whether we get life-saving medicine. That's insane. But, but again, it, it's like you, you, you create these issues um, and, and they're basically created out of whole cloth 
because it is through the prosecution of these issues in the political marketplace that you're able to cloak racism, mm. you know, because the, for example, it, you, you, you look at uh, like blacks in America suffer from a lot of uh, health related issues at a higher rate than whites do. It, but that, that, that's, that tracks along the lines of who has health insurance and who doesn't. Mm, yeah. So if, if you, if you take that away and you, and you begin to um, uh, deal with health issues without respect to race, without respect to um, uh, social station and so on and so forth, now you're giving people an equal shot based on their health. Yeah. And Again, it's one of those things that uh, because uh, and America was founded on racism. Mm. Racism built this country. Racism is what accelerated its growth. Racism is how it was able to leapfrog past the nations of Europe, past the nations of Asia. It's those things. It's apartheid. It's Jim Crow. It's denying voting to uh, to blacks. It's all mm. kinds of um, uh, oppression and disenfranchisement that led to where we are. And, and so, to say that we're going to change these things, basically, and, and and again, the the church, the evangelical church, knows this because they know that they were complicit in slavery. They know. They were complicit in apartheid. They know that they were complicit in discrimination. They know that they were complicit in um, disenfranchisement and oppression. They know. And, and so, so now, again, I think the part of it is fear that if we um, make these things available, you know, the blacks and the natives might use this to take advantage of us. And it's and it's a legitimate concern because if, if you understand how badly America has treated blacks and natives, well, you know, that, that's a legitimate fear. But I'm of the mindset that I don't want revenge. And and no one I know wants revenge. But what we all want is freedom and and the ability to pursue all that America ostensibly has to offer. So. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a tough one, man. It's just, it's messy. It's so, so messy. Like, you know, but here, here's the thing again, we're, we're at, at, at an awesome time. There are so many, um, uh, white people, corporations, governments, uh, the state of Ohio, their legislator legislature voted to declare racism a statewide pandemic. Hmm. And, and so when just like how co- we're in the, the throes of COVID-19, if racism is an epidemic or it's a it's a pandemic, then that means that we're going to start marshalling some resources at a governmental level mm. to, to tear this down. And to me, that gives me hope. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I, I just think of how much the church has profited, um, you know, in my own backyard, you know, the Church of England, you know, and the Catholic Church, we we financed America becoming what it was in a lot of ways. And we, we sure. provided the doctrines of, yes, you can have as many slaves as you want. You can bring sure. them over. You can gather them when you get there. We don't mind, you know, as long as yep. you're paying our guys a nice big cut, we're happy. Um, yep. And and you look at the wealth of these institutions, Church of England, Catholic Church, you know, or, or even just, you know, great Christian families, you know, yep. even we, we, we like to, play that Britain was such an amazing country and how great we were at the forefront of like, you know, abolition and stuff, but we bought all the slaves off of the owners and we finished yep. paying those owners in 2015. Yeah. Like that statistic blows my mind that for the last hundred years, black people have been paying for their freedom Yeah, to the wealthy white and, families and, that own them. You know what? In, in the United taxes. States, in the United States, after uh, in, in the period of Reconstruction, uh, the the government paid slave owners for the loss of their slaves. Mm. They compensated them, and so it's funny how when you when you talk about reparations, and that that that's another sticky subject yeah. here in the U.S. But if you if you paid the slave owners, why not pay the slaves? Yeah. You know, because we, we're happy we, to print money for a whole host of different things, like yeah. print money to bail out, out companies all day long. Sure. Um, that's the, the corporate welfare like kind of yep. site, right? It's like exactly. socialism for the rich, capitalism for the poor, always. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and, and, it, and it feels like that is the case, right? So, well, let's do some socialism for these poor, poor white people that have lost their slaves that are probably effectively, you know, adjusted for inflation and time, probably millionaires, if not billionaires, some of them. Um, yeah. Let's make sure they get paid for their slaves that they lose. Um, but we can't possibly even just thinking about, oh, could we look at providing free education for black people in America, for natives yeah. in America? Would that be something that we could do to make up for the fact that we systemically held back them from being educated for a hundred plus years? Um, yep. Oh, I don't know. That's, I mean, that just feels unfair. It doesn't feel, you know, like, I mean, what about, I didn't do anything to black people. I was, that was hundreds of years ago. You know, all these yeah. immediate. Um, See, here's, here's the thing, you know, um, white, what, no white person alive owns has ever owned any slaves. Uh, no white person alive has has done anything to a slave, has beaten a slave, or anything like that. But every white person in America bene has benefited from the institution, every mm -hmm. single one. And 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 it's and it's and in so many diverse and pervasive ways. Um, you know, how do you how do you fix that? And I know that throwing money at it is not is not the answer. I know, mm -hmm. like some people have said, you know, a 400 year moratorium on income tax. Mm -hmm. OK, I, that one, I, I, I kind of feel that one, um, you know, and then free education. Yeah. You know, that that's another one. Um, you know, there, there are things that can be done without actually, you know, making, you know, actual transfer payments. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then, you know, free healthcare for crying out loud. Let's, let's just do that for Maybe everybody. Maybe just do that for know? everyone. I mean, the rest of the world's kind of watching on going, goes, you're already paying more than anyone else in the world. You pay the exactly. most tax money to get healthcare that yep. you then don't get more than yep. anyone else per person you pay. I'm like, what is happening right now? <laughs> but you're paying against, you're not paying yep. for people to get that money. You're paying for insurance companies, et cetera, to get that money. So, yeah. 
it's it's weird i, I mean i'm not trying to be political either and i know i'm a crazy you know all the american system you're like because even the most left-leaning cr christians in america probably <laughs> and go jesus those guys are pretty left you know so yeah. we think your le like left-leaning parties are very right so yeah <laughs> we're, we're, we're wild i get it so yeah. of course i'm looking on going well this is different and having lived in america i understand it as well like i i went from being an American going, God, what are looking on American going, oh, guns. I talked to a friend who's on the podcast recently and I, he lived with me in America. And the first day we got there, we had this big fight about guns. Cause I was from the UK and I'm like, what the heck is everyone running around with guns for Are you guys insane? Like people are going to get hurt. Yeah. Uh, he's like, no, everyone should have at least three or four guns. That's really important. And we were laughing about it now because he's kind of changed some of his positions. But by the time I left America four years later, I was like, Oh, yeah, people should have guns. I love guns. So I, I get that there's obviously, um, there's, there's all these different dynamics to all these political positions and people have their different worldviews and makeups that, that explain these kind of things. But we should be asking questions. We should be listening to people's perspectives, you know, and uh, that's the thing that's, that's really heartbreaking to me is how many people are making their, their position heard. No matter white people, on my posts going that's ridiculous racism doesn't exist or that's ridiculous you know that's not a thing or that how dare you say that or whatever and i've i've just asked hey could you explain to me what you think that means they don't they don't yeah. go there or you know how which which books have you read on racism how many books have you read in the last five years of a person you know, of color? Here's, here's, here's the thing, you know, I did, because people I, I've had, you know, I, I know white people that are just, they're just consuming all of these books about, you know, uh, white fragility and, mm. and, you know, and all of these different things. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's good. But you know what, what really, what, what, what will really change things is when you sit down and talk with people. When you, when you actually break bread with people and you actually listen to their stories and uh, listen to their uh, experiences and, and, and put on the lens of empathy and compassion. And, and this is the last thing that, that I want to say about, about race, uh, because there, there are so many other um, really awesome topics. But mm. it's this, that um, at, at the end of the day, the racism thing has to be fixed. However, um, racism is not a situation that was created by black people. It was created by white people. And, and even though none of the white people that are alive helped to create the system, they benefit from it. And, and so, so now um, I, I believe the onus is on, you know, my white brothers and sisters uh, to fix this. Now, can, can Black people help? Absolutely. Can they participate? Absolutely. But is that their responsibility? No, it's not. Mm. And, um, and I know like a lot of people don't want to hear that. Uh, a lot of people will think, oh my God, Derek has gone off the deep end. But um, I, um, again, what I'm seeing now is hope. And, and, and that, Phil, I'm, I'm more excited about than I could ever, ever mm. articulate with words. That's awesome. Dude, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about it for sure. And as someone that's, I'm trying to educate as, as best as I can, like learn and, 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 you know, 
shape my my worldview and 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 do whatever I can in in that like um and and so I really appreciate you taking the time to help with oh, that and, and do that. Listen, so I know there's a lot of people on this. You know, I, you know, it's white people listen to white people. That's a gosh. Yeah. If, if the people are locked into racism, they're not sitting listening to podcasts of people of color, right? <laughs> they're listening to some <laughs> white guy like me. Yeah. Um. And so I really appreciate because you know, let me tell you this blew my mind. I, I reached out at the beginning of this year and I said, hey, I'm going to start doing my podcast more regularly, a couple of times a week. It's going to be long form. Give me a list of people you want me to get on, and I will. I will knock down their doors. I'm going to make it happen. I'll bug some people. Yeah. Um, and, and they're like, you what? It's that long? Um, but <laughs> I got about 100 names. I think I got 97 names. You know how many Wow. You know how many people on there were black, indigenous, or a person of color? Wow. Four. Four. Wow. Out of 97 names. And I was just like, how? So, so the, the, the dynamic of my heart is to give a great representation. If anything, I want to over-represent people that haven't been represented. And yeah. then I go, oh, I don't even know where to begin because you know, my audience doesn't even know who they want. They're not even on the page of listening to people. And I know we're in a bubble of like, well, deconstruction and this kind of spirituality. There's no shortage of people that are black people that are going through this and are leaders and speak, you know, people like yourself that are speaking yeah. about this, that are teaching about this. And I'm like, how the heck is no one reckon? So I, I've been trying to hunt people out and ask people like, hey, who do you recommend? Hey, I know you. Do you know other people? Um, and so uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Your name was one that came up again and again and again. So whatever <laughs> you're doing, there's white people listening to you, I guess, and, 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 and checking you out. So um, I'm, I'm grateful. I mean, there, there, there are people that are saying to me, you know, hey, I, I would have never seen this if it weren't for you kind of thing. And, 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 and that gives me life, man, that mm. gives me encouragement, because, um, you know, some days you just feel like, you know, man, fuck it, I'm not going to say anything anymore. I'm just gonna, I'm going to ride off in the sunset, I'm going to do my job, you know, I'm, I, mm. I have a beautiful family, I'm well paid, I drive nice cars, all of that good stuff. And, and I could just say, you know, <laughs> Sarah. <laughs> but yeah. but but at the end of the day, I, I look at um, if I'm not leaving a better world for my sons, then I'm failing as a father. No matter what I give them in terms of of leadership, nurturing, or whatever, uh, that if I don't, if I'm not a good steward of the place that they have to live in, then I'm a failure. And um, and and you know, you've known me long enough. I don't like to fail. So. <laughs> Well, you're succeeding, man. You're, you're, you're absolutely crushing Like For people, let's say, if you've not come across Derek, I mean, you put out more stuff online. I, honestly, every time I blink, there's like a notification. There's something <laughs> my feed refreshes and you've got another video. You're posting on some group here or there. I mean, everywhere. I, I join a new group. And people, oh, you've got to join this group. I join it and you're already in there posting away. And I'm like, dude, this guy is everywhere. Like just everywhere. Um, and so honestly, I, I really appreciate what you're doing. Um, I, and I really appreciate that yeah, you, you take the time because I think it is, it's not on someone like yourself to have to educate white people. And I know that, uh, you know, it, it's exhausting. It's exhausting for me. As, this is, I was saying to my wife uh, a couple of days ago and I was like, I, I've been kind of having a lot of depression and, and just feeling really down the last couple of months. And I, I think a lot of it is, um, you know, COVID stuff, not being around my friends, a lot of other, yeah. you know, I've not been able to be as active and do my working out and stuff as, in the same way as I've had. Um, but one of the things I was realizing just, kind of last week or so i was like i have been for the last six months consuming books material videos on 
racism and sexism, the two kind of big things I've been studying yeah. and really trying to deal with internally, not so I can teach yeah. it or become some sort of position of authority, but so I can get my shit together, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I was like, I think I'm actually just mentally totally fucked from doing this work. Yeah. And I was like, and, and it's not in a, uh, the thing I, I, I was saying to my wife, I was like, I feel like this having done this for a few hours every day for a few months. I'm like, what the hell do my friends feel like that are doing this yeah. every day, all day for their entire lives? Um, and so honestly, the, the, the energy you put into this and, the, and the, how you remain upbeat, you remain encouraging, you remain hopeful, uh, you give so much grace to people that are asking questions or <laughs> trying to, I mean, I'm, I, honestly, I, I don't know how, because honestly, I want to punch people in the head sometimes. So I'm sure you feel that occasionally as well. Um, but honestly, I think you're doing an incredible job. If, if people want to um, continue to connect with you and, and follow you, if they're not doing that, what's the best places? You are like all over well, Facebook. Is that, is that your biggest yeah. thing? Yeah, Facebook is my biggest platform. I mean, in terms of the numbers, um, okay. you, you can reach me on facebook.com. My, my uh, page is Derek Day Multimedia. Um, you can also reach me on my website, which is www.derekday.com. And I always tell people, go to the contact link, click the contact link, and it'll pop up a form that you can fill out, which will send me an email. And, um, and not only do I get email on my computer, but I also get it on my phone. And uh, so I get, I get, I get email alerts. And if I get an email from you, I will respond, whether you are uh, favorable or, or unfavorable, whether you like me or whether you think I'm a son of a bitch, it doesn't matter. I respond. Um, and then also you can reach me on Instagram or Twitter. And my handle is Derek E. Day. It's D-E-R-R-I-C-K-E-D-A-Y. Um, you can go to YouTube and I like, um, I don't know, shit, almost a thousand videos on YouTube. Um, Dude, like and, I said, you're on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've been at it for a while and, I, and I'm, I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to get sharper because um, I, I'm, I'm like anybody else that's, um, that's marketing or branding. Um, you know, I'm trying to get bigger. I'm trying to get a broader audience and I'm trying to uh, do more to, uh, to help people. Um, and then um, also you can... Um, uh, check out my blog on Pathios. Uh, oh, yeah, my blog is called, saying. yeah, it's called love minus religion. And, uh, and I'm overdue for producing some content there. It's like with everything that's been going on, uh, yeah. my blog and my, and my, um, and my podcast have suffered. Picking your battles, <laughs> uh, man. Well, you know, I, I, like I said, in, in the last three weeks, I think I've been on like 10 different, um, 10 different podcasts, um, spoke at a conference at the NOMAD 2020 as a virtual conference a mm. uh, week before last. Um, and, and just a lot of stuff, you know, been involved in a lot of stuff. And then, and then I have to work. I've got to continue earning money and I've got to continue yeah. being a husband and continue being a dad and all of that. So <laughs> it's, um, uh, but we're, we're going to get You're an inspiration, there. man. You're an inspiration. I, I do. I, I was laughing at some of my friends today. We went for a walk and I was like, I like, they're like, dude, you do so much. You need to give yourself some space. And I was like, if only you knew I do very, very little. <laughs> I feel like I feel overwhelmed and I do very little day in, day out. Um, well, I look at someone like you and I'm like, gosh, man, you are like, well, ever since, it. ever since I first met you on Facebook, man, you've been an inspiration to me. Uh, and, and, and over the years, you have been a true and tremendous friend. Mm -hmm. I can't thank you enough for all of all, all that you do, uh, not just for black people, but for humanity at large. You mm -hmm. are truly, truly a gift, man. 
No, I appreciate I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate you taking the time, Ossie. I, I know it's not many <laughs> podcasts run for a couple of hours and so, uh, and okay. especially busy as you are, but I feel like we just get a lot more out, right? You, you get to yep. squeeze the goodness out of stuff that you and, just don't get you, in 45 It gives minutes. us a chance to get caught up, you know? <laughs> and we catch and, up, and, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I say that all the time, but usually I, I, I've actually had people come on the podcast where I'm like, dude, we need to catch up. I have no time right now. Come on and just do a two hour <laughs> chat with me and I'll put it out. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Two birds, one stone. It's perfect. Yep. But yeah, dude, absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I, I really, you know, my heart is with you. If if there's anything I can do, and it's certainly if there's anything dude, that you have that you can you're, say you're, to me you're or doing, encourage or plenty. challenge, please please do reach yeah. out. And but yeah, I, I'm here in yeah. any way I can. And and I know yeah, that just keep a lot of people listening doing, are they're they're yeah. they're with you, man. They're, like you said, you're not alone in this. And this is a I, I this appreciate is a this. This is. Um, it's given me, it's even ramping up my hope, this, awesome. this conversation. So That's cool. Okay. So one last question, cause you, I've just been thinking about you. So we talked about, you know, I, I was struggling to find you know, some black people to get on the podcast, people yeah. watching this, listening to this and they're going, man, I want to follow in my deconstruction, in my spirituality, in my pursuits, because uh, I am following crap tons of people that are like black indigenous people of color in general, yeah. educating myself about race and things like that. But who are your people that are spiritual giants leading the, the way in, in helping people deconstruct and growing in their faith that are people of color in, in one shape or capacity or another? Um, who are your top dogs? You, you, you know, these are the people you got to follow. My, my number one, first and foremost, is Kyle Butler. Yes, I had him on a while back. He is yeah, yeah. awesome. Man. Kyle is, um, you know, he and I are, Kyle and I are friends like you and I are, but 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 because he's in the States, it's not an overseas call. So Kyle and I talk a lot more. Mm. Um, uh, another guy, Henry Harris. Henry is is hilarious. I think that he's more more comedian than 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 preacher, but nice. he is one of the most uh one of the smartest people. Um that I, that I know. Um, hmm. uh, let's see. Um, another guy um, that you can reach out to, his name is Patrick Jubert, J-O-U-B-E-R-T. And, and I love Jube. That's what I call him. And I've known, I've known Jube for um, almost, oh, man, it's been almost 11 years. Um, but he is, he is your typical M1A1 black preacher. You know, it, well, I, and he hoops and he hollers and he <laughs> shouts, but um, he says some really rich things. Um, he knows the Bible and he knows humanity. Mm. Um, another one I would say is Anthony Calloway. Okay, um, I've heard that name, but I can't place where. Yeah. Um, Callaway is is uh, is an old friend of mine. We go back about, I think, almost twelve years now. Um, but he's a really brilliant, uh, brilliant guy. He's he's written several books, um, but he he's just uh, he's absolutely absolutely brilliant. And then another one, uh, Lamont McNeese, uh, Doctor Mac. <laughs> uh, he's he's amazing. Um, and those are those are some of the. Awesome. Um, the um the the uh there there's a, another one um i think it's uh carlos carlos rodriguez is it rodriguez oh yeah no carlos uh, rodriguez happy, yeah ha 
yeah happy sonship dude yeah. he's great yeah he's he's amazing um and and then you know like there there's some there's some women out here like uh you know mm. kathy baker is one um uh, uh joanne maldonado um uh victoria matthews uh the, these are all people that um have have really helped me um in in deconstruction you know that awesome. they um um, oh, and uh, another one, Jory Micah. Uh, she's um, Jory is is um, very. Um, she's a champion for uh, for racial issues, but she's also um, she has a a blog. I think it's called Breaking the Glass Steeple, uh, because nice. she's a she's a, a female uh, pastor, um, and so. Um, and what what is Nicole's last name? Shoot, hang on for a second. No worries, dude. This yeah, is I'm great. Gonna, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm excited. Gonna, I've got a big list of people I'm gonna uh, go reach out and get on my podcast. But yeah, I'm sure people are excited about this because I get asked this a lot, and honestly, I draw blanks. I I really am not in. It feels like it's in a whole other bubble that I've just not found myself discovering yet. So <laughs> excited. Okay. Uh, doggone it! I'm gonna. I'll, I'll have to find it and send it Shoot to you because I can't remember. Uh, yeah, I can't I'll remember Nicole's list, list. Some of these people find them on a, on social. Well, list let, them on the show notes or whatever. You can find Nicole. She has a um, a Facebook page. It's called the Hippie Theologian. Okay. Nice. Yeah. And and, and so she she's powerful. She's a, a a fantastic speaker and um and 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 really um tied into human rights and oh there's one more one more i gotta give you uh if you go and find doc courage her last name is courage like courage like you know boldness uh but it's doc courage and um and she's a uh, or uh, doc. doc 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 as in D yeah. doctor D yeah yeah because that's not her name but that's what she that that's her Perfect. handle you know, um, but her, her last name is actually Courage, though, which that's the funny part. Uh, but she's another one that, that really big on. on oh, uh, Sherry Faye Rosendahl. Sherry Faye Rosendahl. OK, she is she is fantastic. She wrote a book called Not Your White Jesus. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. And, and so oh. so she and she and her husband, Rob, they are they are fantastic. Both of them are are, are tremendous speakers and teachers and um so, so those that that'll that'll give you some because not yeah uh, a lot of those people are, are people of color and some are just women you know but mm. I, I believe that that um I, I'm really big on uh, making sure the, the the feminine voice is heard big time. Uh, and not so. just in in ministry but in the social construct as well yeah well again in that list of 97 people I think 14 were female wow and I, I honestly I was just I was shocked you know Paul because. Yeah. For me, I I got asked on Instagram recently, could you listen? Um, uh, I got asked about people of color, but I got asked yeah. about women. Like, which women do you recommend we follow in, in this? And I, I list like easily a hundred people I'm following on Instagram. And I'm like, how are people not following these amazing women? Like, yeah, uh, it's just, there's just people just aren't aware that there's amazing women that are leading the the, the world in deconstruction and 
they're out there and you can well you know them. you you so. did something really cool about a month ago you said hey you know follow these awesome people right and you gave you gave a list of people dude i had like 50 new followers <laughs> from, <laughs> from just that i mean awesome on, on instagram awesome. yeah it was a big bump dude that's so, awesome i love it that was cool I'm, yeah if i can be sending people your way i think i'm making the world a better place that's for sure so hopefully this yeah. podcast does that as well and so um, I'll include all your links and stuff like that in the show notes and on the YouTube and stuff like that. But, cool, man. I appreciate yeah. it. Dude, it was fantastic to see your face. Honestly. Yeah, just good seeing your chat too, and uh, know that you're well, despite all the ups and downs that uh, yeah. life holds right now. And um, yeah, I really hope you, you and your family, you, you, all your sons, man, five sons, man, that's got to, that <laughs> yeah, you set yourself a challenge there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But you know what, like I said, my, my goal is not just to, um, you know, to raise them to be good men, uh, but it's also to leave the world a better place for yeah. them to, to live in it. So That's awesome. Oh, you're yep. doing it. You're doing it for sure. Thanks, man. Awesome, man. Well, we'll catch up again soon. I'll let you know when this uh, is going to drop as well. Yeah, please do. Cause I'll, I'll, I'll share this with everybody, man. I, I get awesome. to talk to Phil Drysdale. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's honestly a great privilege. I loved it. Yeah. All right. It, Love it you, man. Awesome. Yeah. Love you too, man. Have Peace. a good one. Bye. Namaste. Yep. All right. So that was Derek Day. What a great chat. Like what a what an amazing guy, an amazing heart. Um so passionate about such an important topic amongst a hundred thousand other topics. Honestly, like he, he said, he's got thousands of videos. He's he's a very, very um well studied guy and and a brilliant communicator. Um I do encourage you to check out his stuff. Um he's prolific on Facebook, uh, Derek Day Multimedia, like he said, or head to DerekDay.com to kind of find all his other bits and pieces through that. You know, Derek E Day on Instagram and Twitter. Um, do send him a message like he said he loves to chat with people um, and his YouTube is is full of stuff um, and I'm trying to think what else yes he and he just launched his new um, Pathos as well the love minus religion um, I'll try and get as many of those links in the show notes and I'll try and include some of the links from the dozens of people that he mentioned to check out um, I'm not sure if I'll get everyone in the links um, just because I'm not sure I'll be able to find everyone but uh, if, if he mentions someone and you can't find them by all means I'm sure he won't mind if you uh, message him and um, he can point you in the right direction. Anyway, I really hope you enjoyed that. Um, if you're enjoying what we do, uh, what I'm doing by putting out these uh, podcasts, by putting out these videos, by putting out um, all different stuff on social media, by conducting research through the Deconstruction Network, um, I'd love your support. Um, everything I do is absolutely free, um, but for a gift of $5 a month or more, um, that really can make a huge difference in helping me do this. Um, we kind of just get by we pay the bills and, and that's about it and it would be lovely to to be um a little bit more head above the water and so if you are appreciative of what I, i'm doing i would love your support um of course if you're not capable please enjoy what we do for free um my heart is never to charge for anything i know enough of you have been abused by all that kind of bullshit and religion um and so it will always be free regardless if i can pay the bills or not i'll go work in a supermarket worst case um but yeah that's that's something you can do over the gracecourse.com the gracecourse.com 
also has tons of different um, resources, videos, teaching on all sorts of stuff. And the Deconstruction Network, guys, please, if you're feeling lonely in your walk of deconstruction, please check out the Deconstruction Network. It's a great resource to connect you, um, help you find other people that are deconstructing in your local area. And all it is, is it literally is a map with dots all over it of people that are deconstructing and you can message one another. There's nothing big to it. There's nothing fancy to it. It's just nice, simple, find some people. Um, and so I hope that helps some of you uh, connect and feel a little less alone. Um, and we're also doing great research through the Deconstruction Network on deconstruction um, itself and trying to change the narrative of that. And it would be great for you to be involved in that if you'd like to. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's enough for me today. I'll see you in the next episode.